you in those things. So as we start today into our second week of this series that we've called Dangerous Prayers, I want to invite you not only to be listening to this series, but to be praying these prayers. We are in week two, and last week I told you that over the course of this series, we're going to give you four very specific, very practical prayers that you can begin to pray, that we can begin to pray, that God will use to strengthen our faith and build our prayer lives. I will tell you, um, we called this dangerous prayers because these are not easy prayers. They are dangerous. They are prayers that will mess you up a little bit. They are prayers that will disorient you, I think in the best way possible. Prayers that will cost you, but that's a good thing, right? Prayer that costs us, that disturbs us, that disorients us is prayer that's also going to bring us closer to Jesus. And and many of us, if we're honest, we talked about this last week, many of us are not good at prayer. We're not engaged in prayer because so many of us, the reality is, is not that we're bad at prayer, it's just that we're praying safe prayers. I told you last week, like my common phrases, my common prayers, God bless me, God be with me, God bless this food, as if God has to bless the McDonald's that I'm eating. Like, I think he's just shaking his head going, come on, God help me. And, and, and those are not bad prayers, but a lot of times they're safe prayers. And so we pray these prayers, I think, more often out of habit than out of heart. Right? We're praying the prayers that have become ritual to us, again, which is not a bad thing, but we're not leading our prayer, letting our prayer come out of our heart. And we need to learn some of these different dangerous prayers. So last week, I gave you the very first prayer to be praying, and the prayer was just simply this, God, make me bold. Now, confession time, right? How many of you, to be honest, how many of you were courageous enough to pray that last week? God, make me bold. How many of you, it messed you up? Like, you prayed that prayer and God answered it, and you were like, I'm never praying that prayer Again, a couple of you are, are nodding. And, and see, God does that. When we pray that prayer, make me bold, God will actually put us in those situations where we have the opportunity to be bold. I'd love to hear those stories from you. You can, you can share them. Come tell me, shoot me a message, whatever. We did a house church leaders training this week. And, and if you're not engaged in a house church, we're, we're trying to ramp those back up. I know house churches and social distancing and all that stuff. And we're thinking about how to do that online. If you're comfortable being in space with people, that's fine. Let me know. We, we want to get you involved. Many of you should be, right? Since day one of New Community, we've said that we are greater than I. So it matters that we share life together. But we did a training last week with our house church leaders. And Jesse Roselius, many of you have met him. Jesse's doing a great job helping us network what we're doing here and spreading that out. We've got a house church started in Morgan town, a house church in Charlestown, West Virginia, a couple here. It's just so cool to see what God is doing. But we did a training, and I got a message from one of our leaders afterwards, and she simply texted me and said, bold prayers have opposition. You really nailed that one last week. And I was like, man, I'm sorry that you had to go through that. But it's true. When we start to pray those prayers, we're going to face opposition. But I love that. I love when people take risks. I love when new community folks are brave enough to pray hard prayers like, make me bold. So way to go. If you prayed that this week, that's awesome. We've always wanted to be that church that's following Jesus beyond Sundays. And part of that means we're praying these dangerous prayers. Now, today we're going to talk about the second dangerous prayer. And this is, I think, this is a harder one. This is, this is a prayer that we see, first of all, from King David, right? And, and King David is in a spot where he prays this prayer after his enemies and God's enemies have been kind of on the attack. And they've been accusing David of having wrong motives, insincere motives. So instead of going, like many of us do, wait, you, you don't understand. You don't get it. And instead of defending himself, David prays this prayer. Now, I want to read this prayer to you. 
And then I want to read, us, read it together with you. And I want you, as we read it together the second time, I want us to actually not just read it, but pray it as we, as we start this teaching today. So check this out. Just listen first. This is Psalm 139. I'd encourage you to go home, read the whole psalm. But just verse 23 and 24 is what I want to look at today. Here's what it says. Just listen. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Now, this is one of my favorite psalms throughout the whole book of psalms, but I love these phrases that David utters. And today we're going to break this, this prayer down piece by piece, and it's actually going to give us four ways of praying this one prayer. But I, I want to read it again with you, and I want to make it the prayer that, that frames our time today. So let's read this together. Let's pray this together. Let's, let's do this. Verse 23. Everybody say it together. Say it loud. you got masks on. Ready? Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now I can tell by the, like the quiet in here, it's not just mass. Some of you are already scared to pray this prayer. This is a bold prayer. See, our second dangerous prayer in this series is simply this. It's this phrase, search me. Right? It's not just, God, help me see something. It's search me. David, in the face of opposition, he says, God, clean me out. Let me know what's going on deep in me. Even as I'm being attacked, and don't miss this, David is facing incredible opposition, criticism, attack. Even as I'm being attacked, David says, tell me the truth about me. I don't know what you're like, but that's a really hard prayer. And as we look at this prayer, I want you to see kind of four subparts of this prayer that take us through the process of asking God to search us. God, search me. There's four ways that he'll do that. And they're laid out simply in this prayer. And I hope, I'm kind of praying this for you this week, that this becomes a natural part of your own prayer life. I think these four prayers in this series are ways that we could just put it on our mirror and every morning wake up, brush our teeth, be praying those prayers. But I hope that these four things today lead you into a natural part of your prayer life. I hope it becomes a pattern that even this week you might have the courage to pick these up and use them every single day. So let's go through them. Here, here's the first one David says in this, this passage. He says, search my heart. Did you see that? He says, search me, God, and know my heart. Now, how many of you, we've talked about this before, but how many of you have heard this phrase, use this phrase, or believe this phrase? Ready? Here's the phrase. She has a good heart. He has a good heart. Anybody heard that before, used it? It's just common. Oh, they're, yeah, I know they made a bad decision, but they got a really good heart, right? They, they just have a good heart. And, and, and you, you, maybe you believe that, all of us. Maybe you've had it said about you in the South. We talk about bless their hearts, right, which means they're an idiot, but you're going to be kind anyway. We, we talk about those things. But here's the truth. Without Christ, we don't have a good heart. No one does. No one has a good heart. Jeremiah 17, verse 9, the prophet says this. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Right? Who can understand the heart that is in somebody? So the reality is, the scripture tells us as humans, no one has a good heart. No one. We are all wicked. Some translations of that Jeremiah passage, and I love this, they say the heart is desperately sick. Right? If that doesn't tell the truth about us as humans, you are desperately sick in your heart. I am desperately sick in my heart. Do you recognize this about your own heart? 
How many of you, and I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you to actually participate, put your hands up. How many of you are liars, right? Just if you know you're a liar, put your hands up. Now, come on. I want you to look around the room, and if somebody doesn't have their hand raised, I want you to just say, you're a liar. Just tell them right now, you're a liar, right? All of us, we're all liars. And you know who we lie to the most? We lie to ourselves. That's who we lie to the most. We all have wicked hearts, and we are masters at manipulating ourselves to believe that we aren't. Oh, I'm not so bad, right? We lie, but we don't think it's a lie. We just I just had to stretch the truth. We even created a white lie, right? Because it's not as bad, right? We'll judge it on a scale. Or, or we gossip. No, 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 I'm not gossiping. I'm just asking for prayer for so-and-so. I just wanted you to know so you could be praying, right? Or, or we lust. No, no, no. We, we just like... The, the show that we like to watch. It's not about lust. We just like the show. Or, or we drink too much. No, no, we're just relaxing. It's Friday or Tuesday. It doesn't matter. We're just, we're just relaxing. We have this anger, but we're not hateful. We're just a little upset. And we wish that person were not on the planet anymore. Like, we just, aren't we good at lying to ourselves? But David prays these dangerous words. He says, search me. Search me. Search all of me. All of me. I, I remember when I was in high school and I was in this time of worship and I hadn't really been exposed to worship like we do. I, I really hadn't seen that. And someone was speaking as the music played and inviting all of us as students, high school students, to come forward and surrender. It was kind of an altar call of if there's something that God's saying to you, let go of this or surrender this or give this up. I want you to come forward and, and I want you to do this. And what, whatever God was telling us surrender, to surrender, we should listen and offer it to him. Now, let me tell you the truth. I, at that point, I was a believer in Jesus. I had been saved, but I had never been in a moment like this. I saw people my age, high school, right, sophomore, junior, weeping, making commitments, going all in to Jesus, and I was sitting in the back row wondering what it even meant to let God speak to you. I just thought that was what crazy old people said in church, right? God told me, I, okay, whatever, right? Like, that's what I thought. So you know what I did? I faked it like the whole high school student room was going forward. And I'm going, I don't want to be the only one in the chair just sitting here, right? Like, I don't want, I don't want the whole room to hear from God and God be like, that guy in the back, go talk to him because he doesn't hear me yet. That's, that's literally what I was thinking. And so I got up and I walked down and I, I, I knelt. And as I knelt there, I asked God a question. What do you want me to surrender? Search me, right? Search me. What is it? I should give up. And friends, as clear as day, in my heart, in my mind, for the first time I heard God speak these words, and he said, everything. I want everything. I want it all. And I'm telling you, I could not move. I went from one knee faking it to on my face saying, Jesus, I don't ever want to give anything to you that isn't everything. And I let him clean me out. He searched me and he took his time. I don't know how long it was, but I felt like an hour just being there in prayer on my face saying, God, have access to my heart. Friends, I'm going to tell you, this is not just a ritual prayer. This is a dangerous prayer. It's a dangerous prayer because you're inviting the creator of the universe to search you. And let me tell you something about that. God doesn't need to search you because he already knows you. Do you recognize this? When David prays and says, search me, God isn't like, finally, I get to know you. He's not saying, oh, good, I've wondered what your personality is like. That's not what it says. In fact, the first verse of this psalm, Psalm 139 verse 1, says, oh, Lord, you have searched me 
and known me. So David says, you have searched me and known me. And then clear down in verse 23, he says, would you search me? Now, is David just kind of not paying attention? Like, what's going on here? See, what the danger is in this prayer is when you ask God to search you, he's going to search you and show you the things you've been avoiding. It's not about God discovering who you are. It's about God showing you who you are. David's prayer isn't asking God to do something he hasn't already done. God knows David. David is asking God, would you let me in on the revealing of myself? See, he's, don't, don't miss this. God's going to search you to show you. He's going to show you to grow you. That's what God is going to do. See, search me. That's the first part of this prayer. Here's the second part of this prayer that David prays. Reveal my fears. Are we getting uncomfortable yet? Right? David says, search me, God, and know my heart. And then he says in verse 23, test me and know my anxious thoughts. So he doesn't just say, search me. He says, reveal my fears. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. Now, I had a conversation with a great friend this week who's a, who's a pastor, and we spent some time together talking about what a hard year it's been. And, and I'll just be honest with you for a second. Like, it's been a hard year for everyone in some ways. It's been nice in some ways. We've slowed down. But there's been a lot of struggle, a lot of difficulty for everyone in every realm of life. And as pastors, it's been hard, too. We've lost people. Right? We've lost people in our church who probably won't come back. In many ways, I feel like we are trying to replant a church in the middle of a time when people don't feel comfortable being together. Right? That's, that's what I feel like, is we've hit the rewind button eight and a half years. That, that's really what it has felt like. And I'm not angry, I'm not upset, but it is hard. And that's where we feel we are a lot of times. I have friends who are exhausted from all the funerals they've done in places that have been hit way harder than we have with the pandemic. Pastors have, have tried to figure out how to go online, how to regather, uh, how to be safe, how to do lots of stuff, still keep churches going. And, and we were talking about all this, and my friend asked me this question that I couldn't answer. He said, what are we afraid of as pastors? And David invite, invites God to help him answer this question. Know my anxious thoughts. Test me. Reveal my fears. Can I tell you something about our fears that I'm learning? And, and as I was prepping and praying this this week, this is what I'm learning. What we fear the most and I'm just going to say this. What we fear the most reveals where we trust God the least. I want you to hold on to that. See, what we fear the most reveals the places in our life where we trust God the least. What do I fear the most? Talking to my friend this week, I, I found some answers to my fears. I'll, I'll just be really honest. I fear losing the church we've worked almost a decade to build. Right? That's a fear. I, I fear letting people down, my family, my friends, the people of new community. I fear being identified or, or identifying myself as a poor leader. I fear hurting people that I care really deeply about. And each of those fears points to something that lies deep within me. And, and here's what I discovered this week as we were talking, as I was praying this. A fear of being considered credible, good at what I do, and successful as a man, a dad, a husband, and a pastor. Those are my fears. And you know what those fears leave me realizing about where I trust God the least? Here's what I found. I don't trust God with my identity. That's what I find. When I look at my fears, when God actually starts to clean me out, I think I have to prove my identity, prove my worth, prove my value. So when we say, God, reveal my fears, and I'm telling I'm uncomfortable. I got like a sweaty armpit thing. Like, I just don't even like talking to you all about this, right? Reveal my fears. That's a dangerous prayer. 
Because what it says, it leaves me in a place where I have to confront my own fears with the hope and the grace of Jesus and say, in spite of all my fears, I have to love pleasing Jesus more than failing. More than being considered a failure. More than not being successful. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. So David says, search me. And then he says, reveal my fears. Here's the third part of his prayer. Uncover my sins. Uncover my sins. He says, see if there is any offensive way in me. Now, I I want you to check this out because this is not how we proceed as a culture. David doesn't stop with his fears. David doesn't go, okay, God, reveal my fears and then give me the self-help strategies to deal with my fears because I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. That's not what he says. He doesn't just stay at the self-help level. He goes to the self-guilt level. He doesn't just say, reveal my fears and then help me feel a lot better about life. He says, reveal my fears and then see if there is any offensive way in me. His prayer is simple. Search my heart, reveal my fears, and here, uncover my sins. It's hard to see our own sins, isn't it? Like, it's easy to see others' sins. I'm an expert at that. Aren't you? Aren't we really good at realizing where other people are screwing up? Right? Come on. I can point out anyone else's sins and accuse them so well. How dare you think that? How could you believe like that or behave like that? What in the world could make you think that way? But while I'm accusing others, this is what mom always told us, right? I've got four fingers pointing back at me. That's what's going on. And I think in many ways, this is the most important part of this prayer that David prays. I want to give you you three questions that, that can help you here. Three questions that, if you're brave enough to pray this, will help you truly uncover Your sin. See, I think so much self-help fails in our culture today. So many people are, you know this, right? You feel this. Like so many people are struggling with the fear, the anxiety, the worry, the anger. And we're struggling because we're trying to stay at the self-help level when we need to deal with our own self-guilt. And the question is whether you're willing to do this, whether you're courageous enough to step in to asking God to reveal and uncover your sins. Here are the questions that will help you that I think are just so critical when it comes to saying, God, would you uncover my sins? Here's the first question. What are others trying to tell me? What are others trying to tell me? See, think about, just for a minute, think about the people uh, around you. What are they trying to tell you that you keep rejecting? What do you keep hearing from people or keep sensing that people are trying to get across to you? I I struggled in college. I struggled with this sense of um, I love movies. I loved movies, and and I still do, and I was always watching movies. And it got to a point where Carrie was like, we were dating in college, and she's like, hey, the stuff you're watching is not good. You need to cut it out, right? And I heard that from her, and then I heard that from a couple other guys in my life that were holding me accountable, and it wasn't terrible, but it was just not stuff that was encouraging to me. It was not going to help me. It not going to grow me, and I had some stuff I needed to wake up to, and those, those echoes were coming from people around me. What are others trying to tell you? Here's the second question. What have I rationalized for some time? When it comes to uncovering your sins, the things that you need to deal with, what have you rationalized for some time. Do you know that we are master, I, I, I coined this phrase this week, we are master mental manipulators, aren't we? Like, aren't we good at manipulating, playing uh, mental gymnastics to justify uh, our sin? Let me tell you where this was for me in college. You're going to laugh at this. This is absolutely ridiculous. I hope you're going to laugh. I shouldn't get ready to tell something funny and then say, you're going to laugh. But I knew what I was consuming film-wise I shouldn't have been watching. 
But here's how I justified this. I had a Bible class in college. Dumb. This was so dumb. And the Bible class taught and said, hey, if you're going to reach people for Christ, you've got to understand the culture that they're engaging. So I'm watching these films, and I'm getting told, hey, don't do you can't, This is stupid. Why are you consuming this crap content? What's going on? Well, because I'm trying to understand the culture. It was ridiculous, right? That was my theological gymnastics. That's what I was playing. No, someone gave me permission intellectually to watch smut, and I put a Jesus stamp on it. Now, you're laughing, but I bet that you, all of us, justify stuff just as ridiculously as I do. The heart is deceitful above all things. Above all things. What are others trying to tell me? What have I rationalized for some time? Now, here's the hardest question when we're going to pray and cover my sins. You ready? Where am I most defensive? Oh, we're going to step on tips, right? Where am I most defensive? Where are you defending yourself? What do you keep arguing about? What Nobody argues today, right? We're not arguing about anything this week. What are, what are we arguing about? What do, what do we keep trying to convince ourselves of or others of? Are you honest enough? See, here's the question if you're going to pray this prayer. Are you honest enough to admit the answers to these questions? Wherever I'm defensive, Wherever I'm manipulating my mind to justify what I'm doing. Wherever I keep hearing echoes from the people that love me, by the way. I'm proving Jeremiah right. My heart is deceitful, wicked, beyond repair, desperately sick. And here's what this means when we pray, uncover my sins. I need to repent. I need to repent. See, listen, Romans 2 verse 4, Paul says this. He says, God's kindness, now check this out. God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. So if you grew up in a religious setting, if you're watching and you grew up in a religious setting where it's all guilt all the time, I want to say to you, you need to deal with the sin in your life. But it's not because God's angry. It's because God's kind enough to tell you the truth that you're a lying, filthy jerk. And when you repent of that, that's part of that searching. God, search me, reveal my fears, uncover my sins. When you start to pray these things, when you start to ask God to uncover your sins, God will start to work in you. He will truly uncover your sin. You see, most of us, if we're honest, we're good at uncovering other sins and want God to help our fears, but we don't want to deal with the guilt of our own sins. And when God starts to point things out, I'm telling you, don't deny it. Don't shut it down. What are others trying to tell me? This is why I think you being in community with other believers in a house church or whatever that looks like, a women's Bible study, men's Bible study. This is why this matters for you. Because you need others who love you enough to tell you the truth about you. What have I rationalized for some time? Stop playing those mental gymnastics to manipulate and justify your sin. Where am I most defensive? David says, search my heart, reveal my fears, uncover my sin. See, what about you? What are your life habits saying about you right now, your anger, your addiction, your lust, your materialism, all those things. Romans 2, 4, God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Would you pray this prayer and let God clean you out? It's his kindness. He's not angry. He's in love with you. Here's the last part. Here's the last part of this. David says, search me, right? Tell me the truth about me. Reveal my fears. Uncover my sins. Then the final part of his prayer is just simply this. Lead me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me. David doesn't just want, see, I love this, because David doesn't want God to just search him. He wants cleaned out, uncovered, and then he wants to be led in freedom. This prayer is not about guilt. It's about freedom. Would you lead me, God? Would you lead me every day in the way everlasting? I wonder today, 
as we wind down this simple message today, I wonder who would commit to praying this prayer. Search me. Reveal my fears. Uncover my sins. Lead me in the way everlasting. I, I listened to this talk this week, and this was back in the 60s or 70s, just really old, but beautiful talk that this guy named J. Edwin Orr gave. And J. Edwin Orr used to work with InterVarsity and Campus Crusade, and he gives this, this talk. You can look it up on YouTube. I don't encourage you to do this. And he talks about the role of prayer in spiritual awakening. And, and, and he says, any great movement of God has always started with prayer. Right? He, he, and he lays out this historical case that after the American Revolution, the, the United States was in a moral slump. Right, the, There was an epidemic of drunkenness that out of 5 million people, check this out, these statistics, 300,000 were drunkards. 15,000 people died each year from, from alcohol poisoning. Women were afraid for the first time in the history of our country to go out in public at night. Methodists were losing more members than they were gaining. Baptists, Presbyterians, Episcopalians, Lutherans, they said that the church was too far gone to ever be redeemed. Harvard, at the, at the University of Harvard, there, were, there was not one believer in the entire student body. Princeton, there were, they were double that. They were only two. <laughs> right? It was this, this incredible moral slump. But what began to happen in the great spiritual awakening that we all talk about, we all know about when we talk about revivals, is that a concert of prayer, people of God called together to begin praying, began to change, change things. He, he calls this a, a concert of prayer being an explicit agreement of visible unity and an unusual prayer. Friends, I so long for those things that that explicit agreement, the the, the visible unit, the unusual prayer, began to create what they called the Great Awakening. And so people began all over the country to devote Mondays to prayer. And in September of 1857, a man of prayer named Jeremiah Lanfear started a businessman's prayer meeting in the upper room of the Dutch Reformed Church Consistory Building in Manhattan. I had to take really good notes on that. In response to his advertisement, watch this, only six people out of a population of a million showed up. That's discouraging. Let me tell you, if you're going to start a ministry program, that's discour- we got an audience of a million. I used to pitch this vision, planning a church. we got so much opportunity. There's 27,000 people in Upshur County. Think about how many we can reach. And six show up, right? Six out of a million. But the following week, there were 14. And then 23, when it was decided to meet every single day for prayer. And by late winter, they were filling the Dutch Reformed Church. Then the Methodist Church on John Street. Then the Trinity Episcopal Church on Broadway at Wall Street. In February and March of 1858, every church and public hall in downtown New York was filled. 6,100 people in attendance. And the prayer began to flow into ministry. D.L. Moody started 16 years of ministry because the churches were full. He said, we got to go out to the streets because the churches are all full. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? All of our churches in Upshur County are full because we prayed so much and God did something. Let's go do ministry on the street. Trinity Episcopal Church in Chicago. In 1857, they had 121 members. In 1860, they had over 1,400 The police in Wales in early 1900, I love this, right? The police in Wales in early 1900 were unemployed. Do you know why? One officer said they had a staff of 17 and there were no crimes. So what they did is they formed three gospel quartets to go to the churches and sing because they had nothing to do. You can study this, right? Drunkenness was cut in half. Taverns went bankrupt. Slowdown in the mines for coal. This is the best part of the whole thing. The mine production slowed down because the animals, the workers stopped swearing and the animals didn't understand what they were telling them anymore. 
That's exactly what happened. And it started with a church and believers that began to pray together. God, search us. God, reveal our fears. God, uncover our sins. Would we pray, search me? Would you pray, search me? Would you mean it? I'm going to invite the band to come. And I want you to wrestle with this as we sing this last song. I want you to just, maybe you have the courage right now to to say, to kneel at your seat, to come to the altar, to just pray as you sing. God, search me and know my heart. Test my anxious thoughts. Reveal my fears. Reveal my sins. Uncover my sins and lead me in the way everlasting. Are you courageous enough to pray that? Maybe every day this week it just becomes a habit. That you take these things, Psalm 139, you just say, every day I'm going to read these verses and pray this and say, God, what do you want to do, friends? i got to tell you, this is so much more life-giving and life-creating than God bless this food. There's nothing wrong with blessing your food. It's, it's what we, sh- we should give God thanks for our food. But we've got to begin to pray as a body. And, and friends, I, I would just say, for the sake of our country, for the sake of our school systems, for the sake of the people that we long for in our neighborhoods, for the people that we love in our families who don't know Christ, if you're not willing to say, God, search me and know me, clean me out first, then you don't really, you haven't really taken that step to jump in and say, God, use me. You can't say use me until you say, God, clean me out. So let's stand and pray together. Jesus.